It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Faster my crazy day, my pack commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. You are Locked On Rams, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Rams, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, it is Travis Rogers. It is Locked On Rams. We're going to have part two of our conversation with Locked On Seahawks' Vincent Verhey. That's coming up in just a little bit. A couple of things that I need to remind you of. Don't forget that you're going to want to go check out Locked On Fantasy with Vinny Iyer. He's got all your fantasy questions and all of the ideas and thoughts that you need to get ready for your fantasy football this season. And, of course, Matt Williamson with Locked On NFL. So he's going to cover the whole league. We got all the teams covered. He's got the whole league covered. So Matt Williamson locked on NFL. And of course, you can find locked on Lakers as well with Anthony and Harrison. Go check those guys out if you are an NBA fan. All right. Like I mentioned, part two of our conversation coming up with Vincent Verhey. That's coming up in just a little bit. But there is a report out early. ESPN's John Clayton is saying that the Rams are expected to finalize their extension with Jeff Fisher, that that is something that they are going to do. All right. And oh boy. Um, I think that Jeff Fisher is a fine head coach. And fine is in the worst possible sense. That let me ask you a question: have, have you ever had somebody describe something that you've made for them or given them as fine? How did that make you feel? <laughs> right? Hey, I made this um, lovely dinner for you tonight. How is it? It's fine. That <laughs> doesn't make you feel real good, is it? Hey, I went out of my way. I found this beautiful necklace for you for your birthday. What, what, what do you think of it? It's fine. Doesn't fill you with confidence, right? Jeff Fisher's fine. He's fine. Jeff Fisher does not need a three-year extension. Let me let me read you here real quickly. John Clayton said on 710 ESPN Radio in Seattle that Fisher's extension would be finalized soon and would be announced along with a new deal for defensive tackle Michael Brockers. Last month, ESPN reported that new deals were forthcoming for both Fisher and general manager Les Snead. All right. Here's where, <laughs> here's where it gets depressing. Fisher, 58, is in the final year of the contract of his contract with the team. Fisher has a 27, 37, and one record in four plus seasons with the Rams and is yet to post a winning record in that time. Jeff Fisher is in his 22nd as an 22nd season as an NFL head coach. Fisher's teams have been to the playoffs only six times, and none of those appearances have come in the past seven seasons he's been a coach. Jeff Fisher with the Rams is 27-37-1, which by any measure is not good enough. And he's been a head coach 22 times in the NFL, and six of those times he's gone to the playoffs. Six out of 22. Just a little bit better than one out of four. And they're going to extend him reportedly. Why? Why? This is just a this is a really troubling development. If in fact this is how this goes, this is a really bad idea because now your two stories coming into 
a new season, a new city, a new everything, a new quarterback. Your two stories are you traded away your draft, basically, six picks, to draft a quarterback who's not even wearing a uniform on Sundays. You've lost your first game 28 to nothing to a team that most people think is a 4-5 win team. You lost 28 to nothing. And now you've just re-upped a coach who in his four previous seasons has lost a lot more than he's won. And you're going to sign up for more of that. How, how exactly are you going to sell that to your fans? How exactly are you going to sell that to the people that you're trying to get to buy tickets? And look, I, what, what I mean by this is it's not literally the gate. There are... 20 million people in greater Los Angeles. Okay, if you talk about LA and Orange Counties and Riverside County, Ventura County, all of the areas where it would be reasonable to consider people to be able to come to a game, they got to put 60, 70, 80,000 people in the stadium. That, that, that's not going to be a, a high task. But if you're looking for people to get excited, if you're looking for people to go and, and, and develop into Rams fans during their, their gestation period here in Los Angeles, this is not the way to do it. I'm not saying you fired Jeff Fisher because they had a bad Monday Night Football. That's that's reactionary, and that's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm saying is that maybe you say, Jeff, you know what? I know we've been talking about this extension, but now's not the right time. It's not the right time for, for us. It's not the right time for the team. We're not saying we're going to do anything. We're probably not going to do anything. I'm sure that you're going to turn this around. I'm sure that we're going to get on the right page. I'm sure that Jared Goff is going to turn out to be a fine quarterback. But just, you know, for right now, we're going to put this through the shredder and we'll work out a new one when a time is more appropriate. Is is there anybody here in LA? You tell me. Write it in the comments. Send me a tweet at Travis Rogers. You tell me. Is there anybody here in Los Angeles that upon hearing about Jeff Fisher signing an extension is going to be like, all right, here we go. That's the guy. This is the guy that's going to lead them to a Super Bowl. This is the guy that's going to take them from where they are right now, which it appears they are a long way away, to become the next big thing in this city. I, I, I can't imagine that anybody other than Jeff Fisher feels that way. I, I get it. You want to be steady. You don't want to be reactionary. You don't want to just – this is his fifth season here in town. This is his fifth season here in town, and, and what he's done up until this point has been incredibly mediocre. And you're going to give him three more years? I get it. And maybe you're just trying to bridge the gap till you open your new building in Inglewood. But my goodness, this is this is not only not the right thing to do; it's the wrong thing to do. This is sending the wrong message to people that you are trying to solicit to become lifelong Rams fans. And the first thing you're going to do is extend a guy who's ten games under 500 in his career and has never been to the playoffs as the head coach of this team. A guy who was part of the process of picking a quarterback that number one overall traded away six draft picks to get him, who didn't even put on a uniform in week one. We're going to give him a, a longer deal. O okay, I mean, wow. I, I, I mean, I'd love to work for somebody like that. That gives you an opportunity to really settle in and figure out what you're doing. There is a thing. I think the NFL, as a rule, is incredibly reactionary, much much more so than I think it should be. That you get a guy two years that's not working, fired. But five years? At the end of this year, it'll be five years? I don't think that anybody would say he wasn't given enough time to try to get things together. That's a long time. That's a really long time. And, I mean, my goodness. My goodness. 
Another bit of news as well. The Rams are expected to wear their throwback uniforms Sunday at the Coliseum when they make their debut back in Los Angeles for the first time since 1994. That'll look good. That's a good-looking old-school uniform, and we can think about Eric Dickerson and Jerome Bettis and Jack Youngblood and Fred Dreyer and Merlin Olsen and all the guys that wore the the, the yellow and blue um, many, many years ago when things were a lot happier. We can think about Jim Everett. We can think about Vince Ferragamo and Pat Hayden and even Dieter Brock to a certain point and start to feel a Jackie Slater, feel feel a little bit. Nolan Cromwell, how about him? All the old L.A. Rams. We can feel a little bit better. Mike Lansford, the barefooted kicker, closing my eyes, visualizing all these guys in that yellow and blue gear. It's good gear, but short, uh, it'll be fine. I would like to see them come out and play a lot better football. All right, so we'll do that tomorrow. And coming up in just a minute, we're going to talk to Vincent Verhey from Locked on Seahawks, part two of our conversation that we started yesterday, taking a look forward at the Rams and the Seahawks this weekend. But first, got to tell you about FanDuel. How did your fantasy football team do this weekend? Hopefully better than mine did. Not a great week for me, but that's the beauty about one-week fantasy football. You can turn around and you can do it all over again. Fantasy football at FanDuel is for everyday fan. New contests starting every week. No busted seasons just pick a contest choose your team and watch your score in real time and there's all sorts of variety there's not only one way to do fan duel there's a whole bunch you can try a beginner contest which if you've never done this before is a great way to do it you don't have to worry about going up against an expert who might be a little more experienced as you are you can settle a score with a friend by going head to head you can play in a larger tournament as well for even more excitement you can play for a buck you can play for big money however you want to do it i like the 50 50 contest where the top half of the teams in the pool win a cash prize this sunday's million dollar contest is paying out two million bucks two hundred thousand to first place i've played fanduel for years it's always a lot of fun go check it out go to fanduel.com click on the sign up now button join now button and use the promo code l o rams right locked on rams l o rams that's fanduel.com your promo code is l o rams it's void way prohibited try it right now and you'll get up to $50 in free entries new users who deposit will get 5 free entries to the NFL 5050 beginner contest valued at up to 50 bucks you'll get one free entry a week for 5 weeks and your value of free entries is going to vary based on that deposit amount fanduel.com don't forget the promo code l o rams all right now it's part two of our conversation with Vincent Verhey of Locked on Seahawks. So w- give me an idea of what Russell Wilson's going to be like this weekend. Obviously the ankle, I mean, he's, he's going to play. Is it, is it a full Russell Wilson at this point? Uh, he's definitely going to play. Uh, he got his ankle stepped on. Uh, the next play he handed off, the play after that, he was on the field to throw. He, it was just a little wide receiver screen, but he literally couldn't move his feet on that throw, and it was terrifying. We all, we all thought he was done at that point. Um, he came off the drive. They taped up his feet with thick rolls of black tape. He came back looking like Herman Munster on the field <laughs> and, and obviously didn't have the same Russell Wilson mobility we're so used to seeing. Uh, but since then, the, everything they've said is that it's not a serious injury, and I believe them because uh, the only roster move they have made is they went out and re-signed a kid named Jake Heaps, who, was a lo- who played high school football in the area. He bounced around for, I think, three college schools, and uh, I think he was on... Um, he was on a practice squad last year. But they put him on the practice squad. Javon Boykin is still the backup. And if there was a chance that Russell Wilson might miss this game, there's no way that Seattle would be going in with Javon Boykin and Jake Heaps as their only other options. They would have found someone somewhere with some kind of NFL experience uh, if there was a realistic chance Russell wasn't going to go. You want Case Keenum? 
<laughs> you know what? <laughs> Uh, we, we might for, for <laughs> if uh, if Russell's ankle swells up, um, <laughs> but he, he's going to go. He probably won't be a hundred. In fact, I'm sure he won't be a hundred percent. So he won't be the same uh, uh, scrambler that we have seen in so many years past. But uh, we saw from the second second half of last year that when he's on, he can be equally as dangerous in the pocket. So the, the, I'm, I'm, my, my my biggest concern is simply that he gets uh, hit again and hurt again. I'm not concerned about how he will play if he doesn't get hit. I I'm, I keep coming back because Russell Wilson is every football fan's fantasy that you found a franchise quarterback down in the draft. It didn't cost you a lot to get him, and for a period of time, he was relatively inexpensive. Was and again watching from a distance. Did everyone in Seattle understand what they had very early in the game? Was it apparent that Russell Wilson was a special guy in that very first year? Uh, from the, the the whispers in camp were, well, let's go back even even before the draft. Pretty much everyone agreed that if he was four inches taller, he'd have been a top five pick. Mm-hmm. He had every check every check box you'd want in a, in a franchise quarterback. He's just short. Um, so there were there were whispers in, that that was what they got when they. That's why he fell to the third round. That's why they were lucky to get him. Then there were reports in camp from the, from the people who were there watching every day. They were saying. He looked as good as his scouting report said he would. He wins the starting job that year, and for about two thirds of the season, it was he was a, a I won't say a typical rookie quarterback. He wasn't special. He was a he played well for rookie quarterback. Mm-hmm. And there was a game that year in uh, November, I think, and the the Bears that year had the best defense in the league, and the Seahawks go to the, go to the Bears, and they get the ball, needing one score inside their own ten. And he led a 90-yard uh, touchdown drive that eventually won. They actually, the Bears actually came back and forth overtime, but Seattle got the win. But that was the moment when the light bulb went off in my head when I realized this kid, in his he's played like 11 or 12 NFL games. He went on the road against the best defense in football and got the job done. And I was freaking out. I was going <laughs> crazy at that point. And in the three years since, he hasn't done much to, to prove me wrong. So. No, he he really hasn't, and you know I I've always found him to be a little inauthentic when it comes to the way that he presents himself publicly, and, and I understand why it's necessary for a lot of guys to do that because being a real guy gets you in a little bit of trouble every once in a while. But it it, it very quickly became apparent that this this is a guy that is just going to make the right decision on that football field just about every time. And the the more football I watch year after year after year. I've come to figure out that I think that's the number one trait that you need from your quarterback. It's great if he can throw out the length of the field and make some plays with his legs and all the the physical things we talk about. But if that guy continually makes good decisions, your team's always going to be in good shape. And he seems to be the the, the embodiment of a guy that just keeps making good decisions. He is, and uh, you're, you're definitely right about his uh, speaking tendencies. He's he's a guy who uh, I am convinced that in 2050 or so, Russell Wilson's going to run for president. And <laughs> for real. For real. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. That's not a joke. I'm convinced that's, his, that's a goal he has down the road. And he's starting now. And if you watch his press conferences, he comes off like a politician. He does. In the worst way, though, not in because sometimes a politician can be kind of greasy but charming. He comes across as robotic and insincere. Sure. There's a definite... Uh, uh, rehearsal. Yes, he, he, he knows what he's going to say in that press conference before the questions are asked. And there's and there's times 
where he, he it, there's a fine line between being a good teammate and just uh, feeding a line of crap. Yes, <laughs> but, indeed. But he was he was talking after that game about how great the offensive line had played. Please. Yes, and we, 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 I think in Seattle we're kind of numb to it. We just know this is what Russell does. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm sure any uh, Miami reporter who was in the room did a, you know, their, their eyes popped open when they were that. <laughs> well, I, I, I go back to the Super Bowl, the second Super Bowl, with the interception on the goal line, which, you know, I mean, not to rehash that whole thing, but I, I was always struck by oh, in the immediate aftermath. I mean, you're talking just a handful of minutes later, you see him being interviewed, and his, his response to throwing an interception that would have allowed them to be back-to-back Super Bowl champions was, I just can't wait for next year to start. I'm like, come on, buddy. This is oh, where yeah. you drop an F-bomb. This is where you tell a guy to get out of your face. <laughs> this is a real, like what Cam Newton did. Cam Newton was rude, but being rude in that situation is the exact normal thing that all of us would do, that he's saying, I can't wait for next year and get started with my teammates. At that point, I'm just like, come on, pal. Be a human being. Well, that's Russell. Um, he, he's always, he is pretty much always aware of his image, and he's very protective of his image, and wants to... Uh, uh, he, he, he doesn't want to show that kind of uh, uh, emotion, for lack of a better word. The, the only time I can ever really remember him getting emotional was in the Green Bay comeback right before that Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, he he kind of threw one, one of their touchdowns during the rally. He threw not a, not a tantrum, but he had an outburst of uh, excitement on the sideline about how he hates losing. And then after the game, he did just he just broke down, uh, yeah. was, was shattered. Which and if you watch that game, the the whole rally with the onside kick you'd understand that as well but other than that no he, he's very uh, uh protective and concerned with his image and uh it is always on his mind i'm curious what the reception of Pete carroll will be on sunday because obviously it's his first return to the coliseum since he left usc it's been a while and i think most sc fans have a very positive correlation when they think of the name pete carroll with all the championships they won and all the winning they did but there still is that element of he got out of town one step ahead of the ncaa i'm curious what what that reception might be like come sunday most of the trojan fans i know and that's not as many as you know obviously sure but most of them i know um they 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 they, they love just uh un, unmitigated un, unabashed love they they love pete carroll um the, the 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 sanctions and the way he left before that hasn't changed their opinion of him at all. Um, it's a funny thing with college football it, it, across the nation. Fan, college football fans tend to be very, very, very forgiving of their coaches, but very, very unforgiving of the players. Mm. And so the the, the, the Trojans fans I know are upset with the players who may have uh, committed uh, infractions, but they they don't they, they don't hold it against Pete at all. Um, I, yeah, I mean, that, that, you're right. I just, I, that, every time that I hear one of those fans start to, to say, oh, the kid, this, look, everybody in this equation is getting obscenely rich in this, except for that guy. And if he wants to take a car or something or whatever else, I have no problem that this charade of amateurism has long been dead for me. And anybody that gets caught up in that, I just get it's a su- supreme eye roll out of me, at least. Uh, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Um, and I'm, I'm not a college football guy. I, I turn it on if I am uh, home on Saturday, basically. Um, I'll, I'll probably check out the Huskies more this year because they're looking pretty good. But when I watch it, all I could think is this coach, is, you know, Nick Saban makes seven or eight million dollars a year, and then on top of that, the fans got together and pulled passed the hat around and pulled money so they could pay for his house. <laughs> well, you can't you can't afford and, a man to buy his own house, can you? 
No, and and then and then I'm watching him scream his head off at his unpaid laborers, and this <laughs> strikes a bad chord with me. Yeah, no, you and me both, Vince. I, yeah. I, 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 when were you in Seattle when they hired him, Pete Carroll? Yes. What was the expectation, the re- the reaction to it? Because I, I, I remember when he left, we we all knew it was just a matter of time until he was going to go back to the NFL. It always felt like there was unfinished business after his time in New York and New England. But there was the the sense of, you know, well, we'll see. It didn't work the first two times. I thought it would because I think he kind of figured himself out at that point. But what was the reaction there? You know, the Seahawks were in a really weird place when he arrived because the Holmgren era had come and gone. Uh, he had moved on. And they had Jim Mora as coach. And he is a local kid who grew up in the area and went to school here. His dad was a coach of the Huskies in the, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And so he had his supporters. I have never, and frankly still don't, um, I have never thought he was an especially good football coach. I watched him in Atlanta. I thought he was uh, rotten schematically and also the way he handled the roster. Uh, I thought he threw a lot of players under the bus and, you know, Looking at Michael Vick in 2016 is different than looking at Michael Vick in 2006. Mm-hmm. But the way he refused to hold his star quarterback accountable for when the star quarterback failed to get the job done sometimes, but he was he had no problem throwing the rest of the roster under the bus. Uh, it was very strange to me. He came to Seattle. The same thing happened. They had a game, his first or second game, where they lost on a missed field goal. And he goes into his press conference all he can talk about how his kicker lost the game. It's as much as you knock the Russell Wilson approach. Moore did the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he and, and for a coach, that's not a good thing. No. He, he lost the locker room immediately, so he's out the door, and he's also out the door in part. Be, I, I think in part because Pete Carroll was suddenly available. If Pete Carroll had stayed at USC, I don't know if the Seahawks would have fired Jim Mora in in 2012. It was so. It was all a very very strange situation, and we're here in Seattle. And his first two stints in New York and New England, they weren't bad, but he didn't last long in either spot. And now here he is. He's having a great run at USC, but he also, at the time, seemed like he was, uh, you know, jumping out the door there. Yep. And it seemed, it didn't, it didn't seem like uh, a guy you could have confidence in to stick around and get the job done over the long haul. And here we are. It is now year five, and uh, anyone you know, we can't complain. <laughs> no, no, far uh, from it. I, I mean, the, yeah. the the fact that that he's having success doesn't surprise me because I, he's smart and he's flexible, and I think that those are two things that are incredibly important when it comes to being a good coach. But that that he has been as successful a Super Bowl championship, another Super Bowl appearance, and like you mentioned, that the the Seahawks seem like they're about as stable an organization as you're going to find in the NFL, maybe outside of New England, Green Bay, Pittsburgh, and but but Seattle has kind of nosed their way into that group. That 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 might be his greatest accomplishment. The winning's one thing, but the stability that he's brought is is I think very very surprising. No, I totally agree. Um, the only uh, they've had the same coach, GM, and quarterback now for uh, uh, this is like I say, this is well, year This is year five of Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. So, um, and 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 that's kind of the key. Like you say, those other teams that have stability at the top. The only revolving door for Seattle has been the defensive coordinator spot, but that's not a big deal because Pete's doing the defense anyway. Vince, I'm trying to think of what else we 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 haven't covered. Getting ready for this game this weekend. What what have we not gone over? You know, we have talked about the Seahawks a lot. Uh, we have not talked about the Rams very much, and I know there's not much uh, to say, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, is there anything I know? I know you. You. I, I don't know how much you watched the Rams when they were in St. Louis. 
So uh, I know I know week one there was not a lot to like, but in your eyes, if the mm-hmm. Rams are going to pull off this upset, how do you see it going down? Is there one player that needs to have a big game, or is there, is there one player who needs to even just have a much better game I, uh, if they're going to find a way to win? Yeah, I think there's two guys, and, and unfortunately I think it's the two most obvious guys, and I think it's the two guys that everybody comes in when they play the Rams game planning to stop, and that's Gurley and Donald. Uh, if if you can keep Todd Gurley from getting loose, you're going to beat the Rams. I mean, it's the one weapon they have offensively. You look at their wideouts. You look at Kenny Britt. You look at Brian Quick. They've tried to add Tyler Higby as their tight end. He's a rookie out of Western Kentucky who looks promising but still very, very green. Tavon Austin, I, I'm, I'm not a big Tavon Austin guy. Anytime that your, your play consists of give him the ball five yards behind the line of scrimmage over and over and over again, I, I'm not really concerned of that as a defensive coordinator. But if you can stop Gurley. You look at what the Niners did on Monday night. They had eight guys in the box, sometimes nine. I mean, Steve Young said it really well on on the telecast, I thought, is that they were playing a defense that a high school defensive coordinator would put together, that just you had man-to-man outside, and that was it. Everybody else was on the line of scrimmage because they knew the quarterback couldn't throw the ball. Um, and then on, on the other side, if you block Aaron Donald, there's not a lot of other guys on that side of the ball that are playmakers that are going to blow up what it is you're trying to do. And the Niners did a good job on him. They had him double teamed most of the night. I just there there just isn't a ton of talent on this football team right now that needs to be accounted for when they break those huddles. And short of Gurley going crazy, and short of Donald making a couple of big plays to to take the ball away on short fields, I, I think that's the that's the focus, and it's not much beyond that. I wanted to ask what you thought of, of uh, uh, Tavon Austin because he is, I guess, the Rams' number one receiver. It's hard um, to tell sometimes. Yes. Um, but uh, Seattle's wide, top wide receiver is Doug Baldwin. And Baldwin and Austin both signed extensions this offseason, and Tavon Austin got more guaranteed money. Hey, well, yeah. <laughs> Tavon Austin has a better agent, I guess. Clearly. Yeah. And then he goes out on Monday night. Something something like thirteen yards and twelve targets. Yeah, yeah, no, he he had a couple of catches. It, the, the the problem with Tavon Austin is that the Rams have this vision of him becoming Deshaun Jackson, and it, and it's just not coming together because Deshaun Jackson, while small of stature, played big. The, the, Deshaun Jackson was a guy that could get downfield, who could run routes, who could do things down the field. You look at what they do with Austin, and maybe part of it is is that they don't have anybody that can get him the ball. Maybe that's a part of it. But you look at them, it's it's bubble screens, it's reverses, and it's all stuff at or very near the line of scrimmage. And I don't think that's going to keep a defensive coordinator up at all. And I, I don't know if it's Tavon Austin's fault, but it's certainly a, a position that I think is terribly overvalued in the Rams scheme. Like you said, the amount of money they gave a guy that had five receiving touchdowns last year and a number one receiver that lines up in the slot most of the time, it just it, it doesn't add up to me. He, he's one of those guys that, as a concept, as an idea, is intriguing, but in reality, especially with the rest of the personnel the Rams have, there just isn't much there. Yeah, I think there's an, over, uh, there's an overemphasis around the league when you're evaluating wide, evaluating wide receivers in the draft. I think people tend to fall in love with athleticism and potential, mm-hmm. and they don't look enough at college production. Mm-hmm. Um, the same year he came out, Cordero Patterson came out and, and uh, ended up in Minnesota, and both of those guys were do-everything, Swiss Army knife, jack-of-all-trades college players. They were rushers, they were returners, they were receivers, and they made you know lightning-in-a-bottle plays all the time. But then when you look at just, just what they did as wide receivers, I don't think they were as developed as a lot of other uh, uh 
a lot of other draftees. Yeah. And you've kind of seen in the NFL where uh, Patterson's a tremendous kick returner, but he can't get on the field for a team that's ha- that has not a lot of depth of receiver in Minnesota. Yeah. And Well, the Rams have no on. depth. The, the Rams have Kenny Britt and Brian Quick as their two guys, and Brian Quick would have been cut in any other camp on any other team. The fact of the matter is, Farrell Cooper and Nelson Spruce, two guys that the Rams have as rookies this season, are both hurt and unable to go, or I think Brian Quick gets cut. Kenny Britt is what Kenny Britt is. He's he's a, a veteran guy. He's okay, but he's certainly not going to scare you. And that, you're right, that leaves Austin, and it just is, is a concept, a potential, all these things. Yeah, well, yeah, sure, but the reality of it is it, it, it's just not there, and, and, I, and I'm starting to wonder if it's ever going to be, especially with the quarterback play you're seeing. Yeah, the, the, the reality for Austin is he's a guy who, to make an impact on the field in any phase of the game, he basically needs to break two or three tackles on a play. Mm-hmm. And bringing it back to this game, when your game plan is we are going to break a lot of tackles, the Seahawks defense is not the defense you want to be playing against. Nope. Nope, I, 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 I'm, I'm hoping that you're right, that there's a talisman, a jinx, a voodoo doll, something, a, an Indian burial ground somewhere that we don't know about that, that is preventing Seattle from winning these games because this just feels like it might be ugly all over again. Well, you never know. I mean, we, uh, we all thought, at least I thought, that Seattle was going to manhandle Miami when all was said and done, and that, that was a nail-biter down to the end. So you never know until things kick off. But looking at these two rosters, looking at where, uh, where the Rams have the edge, it's their defensive line is better than Seattle's offensive line, and that's about it. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I think I would have said the same thing going into San Francisco, and that didn't that didn't materialize as well. Vince, that was fun. That was good, man. I enjoyed that. Me too, man. Thank you for having me on. And uh, I appreciate you helping me out. You got it. We'll do it again, I hope, uh, later in the season when they play again. Oh, we get to see the color rush game. That'll be fun. Oh, that's right. It's the Thursday night game. That's right. Yes, neon yellow and action green. <laughs> yeah, those yellow Rams ones are a bit muddy. They look like giant bananas with a bruise on the end. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but I could see that. <laughs> All right, Vince. Thanks a bunch. All right, take it easy. All right, that's Vince Verhey from Locked On Seahawks, of course, getting you ready for week number two in the NFL. Thanks to Vince very much. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Hey, Locked On listeners, you already love our network of NFL shows, so why go anywhere else for the fantasy football information you need to know for the 2020 season? You just need to check out Locked On Fantasy Football, hosted by me, Vinny Iyer. We're counting down to the season by breaking down players and teams every day. It's no-nonsense, straight-to-the-point, smart fantasy football analysis that has only two goals in mind, helping you dominate your drafts and win your league championship. That's Locked On Fantasy Football, only on the Locked On Network.